Recorded by The Way in Brea. Lead pastor Von Jarrett has a heart for the people at The Way and a desire to reach the lost. The Way's production department prays this message is a blessing to you and that you find yourself closer to God through application. What a story, huh? about a, a false confession. This morning, the title of the message is The Confession of the King. The Confession of the King. In the video, I think we can see how easy a false confession can be made and how long someone can serve because of a false confession. To me, I think it's amazing how many things were working together to bring about that false confession. They talked about the polygraph test and good cop, bad cop, and how he was being led in a certain direction and his age and how he was emotionally and all these different things that led him to make this kind of false confession. Uh, as I watched that, the first thought that came to my mind is that there's no freedom and there's no justice in a false confession, right? Whether it's the individual that's making the false confession Right? He ends up in prison for 16 years because of something he said that didn't actually happen. And then it talked about the individual who was still out on the streets committing more crimes. Uh, and the same thing goes there. There's no freedom in that. You know, uh, in preparing this and looking, at, it was actually kind of detrimental, all the videos that I watched, uh, because you're watching people who have confess to crimes, I was watching a bunch of people make their confessions and you can see the burden upon them for carrying this sin around for so long. People that they hurt, people that they murdered, people that they raped, and there's no freedom there. There's no justice there as they were continuing to operate in that particular way uh, without the immediate judgment, but they knew, they said, I can't live like this anymore. I was ready to kill myself because they knew that there was impending judgment coming for them. So this morning, what we're gonna look at is how the same can be true in Christianity and in the church. If we make a false confession, if we don't really believe what we say, if it's not really the truth or the reality of our lives, it's just something that we've said, and how long some people can serve because of false confessions. They can be in churches for years. They can be serving for years. They can be saying all the right things, but there's no freedom in that. There's no justice in that. There's no truth in that. Amen? Amen. Amen. We're going to pray. Lord, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for the worship. We thank you for the testimonies that have already gone forth, Lord God. We thank you that you are here with us and that you give us an opportunity for something real, something true, Lord God. We ask that you would help us, Lord, that... We see in the world that we live in that not only are there false confessions, Lord, but there's a lack of confession where people are, are uh, carrying on in their sin, Lord, carrying on with their burdens without being able to experience uh, forgiveness, Lord, and freedom. Our desire this morning is that we would find that truth, that we would find that reality, that we would understand what confession is, Lord, that we would hold fast to our own confession this morning, Lord God, that maybe some of us would make confession this morning, Lord. We know that you're here. We know that you came to meet with us, Lord, that you have something you want to speak into our lives, Lord, and uh, that you are also eliciting a response from us, Lord. You want us to be a people who respond to you as our Lord, as our Savior, as our Creator, as our God, Lord. Have your way over this time. Have your way over these few precious minutes, Lord, that we are uh, setting aside just to focus all of our attention upon you. Uh, as we heard earlier, Lord, our desire is that we would leave this place changed for having met with you here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 All right. 
Open up your Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter 16. That's where we're going to be this morning. But I'm going to start with Matthew 15, verse 8. Jesus says, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. True confession is from the depth of our heart, and true confession should begin to control our minds and our bodies, our actions and our thoughts. Jesus says, listen, they're saying the right things with their mouths. They're saying the right things with their lips. They're making a confession to me. However, their hearts are far from me. If you make a confession of the Lord from the depths of your heart, it will not only do something inside of you at the emotional center, but it will begin to affect the way that you think. It will begin to affect the way that you live, the things that you actually do. If you're still thinking the old way and you are still behaving the old way with your hands, with your feet, with the way that you live and where you go and what you do, we need to ask ourselves, have we made a real confession or a false confession? Is there something true and deep that God has done in our hearts? Or would Jesus be saying the same thing to me or maybe saying the same thing to you this morning that, hey, with your mouth, it's all good. You said it right. You had the right tone. Everybody was saying it along together like we did this morning and everybody was on the right pace. <laughs> he says, these people draw near to me with their mouth. They honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. You know, recently we, we uh, just in dealing with somebody and walking with God and walking through discipleship and was reminded, uh, we had a conversation about, hey, we just need to be quiet for a while. Don't say anything. Don't talk. Just live it out. And it's so interesting how sometimes it's the people who are saying nothing, but their hearts are very connected to the Lord. And it's the people who are talking a lot. And he might have to say to them, hey, the lip service is awesome, but your heart is far from me. So Matthew chapter 16, verse 1, if you're there, say amen. amen. It says, then the Pharisees and Sadducees came and testing Jesus asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. Say sign. sign. He answered and said to them, when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today for the sky is red and threatening you hypocrites. You know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the sign of the time. Stop there real quick at verse 3. I just think it's interesting. Mary always knows what's going on with the weather. I have to look on the app and figure out what it's going to be. I asked her this morning on the way to church, is it done raining yet? Is today the last day? She said, no, it's going to go through Tuesday. And it made me think about this scripture. How is it that we have meteorologists, weathermen and weatherwomen, and we know exactly what the weather is going to be, but we have no idea what God is doing? It's crazy. And then you read the Bible and he says the same thing. <laughs> Verse 4, a wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign and no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he left them and departed. Now when his disciples had come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. Then Jesus said to them, take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they reasoned amongst themselves, saying, it is because we have taken no bread. But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, O you of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves because you have brought no bread? Say reason. reason. Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves and the 5,000 and how many baskets you took up? Nor the, the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets you took up. Excuse me, the seven loaves of the 4,000 and how many large baskets you took up. Verse 11. How is it you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread? but to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, that I the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some said John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus, the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. 
and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, that this should happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Amen. For those of you that haven't read in a while, you read a whole chapter of the Bible this morning. Doesn't take that long. Let's get in our word. Amen. I love to do that to you guys. All right, so I, I do kind of have a lot that I want to share, so we're going to get right into it. If you're taking notes, that's a good idea. One thing that I've seen with the life groups, the people who take notes show up ready to be engaged, uh, seems to have a lot more value in what they share with the group. So take your notes, do it on paper, do it in your app, doesn't matter. Number one is signs and wondering. Signs and wondering. In the beginning of this chapter, it talks about the Pharisees and Sadducees. They're coming to Jesus and saying, show us a sign from heaven. Verse 2 says, he answered them. He said, when you say, when it's evening, you say it'll be fair weather. In the morning, you say it'll be foul weather. You hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of a time. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And then he left them and departed. Jesus showed signs to people who were looking for God so that they, know, they would know that he's God and that he came looking for them. Think about that for a second. When we read through the gospel, time after time, Jesus would show up. He would, he would show a sign to people. He would heal somebody. He would provide food. He would give them revelation of who he is. But he would do that because they were already looking for God and he wanted them to know that God was looking for them. I'm here. I remember one of my favorites is the woman at the well. She's out there and she's talking to Jesus and he's showing a sign of, of his knowledge, how much he knows about her. And he kind of tells her story a little bit, what she's been involved in. And she says, listen, I know that the Messiah is coming. And when he gets here, he's going to tell us everything. And, she, and he said to her, I am he who you've been waiting for. I am God. I am the Messiah. This is the place you have met with him, right? He showed the sign so that she could have revelation of who he is. Now, with these Pharisees and these Sadducees, they're looking for a sign, but not because they're looking for God. They just want a sign. They heard that he's out doing certain things. They heard that people are beginning to follow him, and they say, just give us a sign. Well, no, I'm not going to give you a sign if you're not looking for God. If you don't really want to know who I am and why I was sent, I don't have a sign for you. Isn't it interesting that when you and I are looking for signs and looking for miracles, we rarely see them? We could be praying, God, just do this, please. If you would just do this one thing and do this miracle, I just want to see you let lightning strike in my life in some way, and we never see it. However, when we're just looking for God and trying to serve God, isn't that when we see the miracles? When you just wake up on a Saturday morning and say, I'm going to go take these teenagers and we're going to go to this place that we've never been to before and we're just going to try to do something good for the world. And then that's when God touches your heart and shows you that, man, I got to get my giving right. Lord, I got to get my life right. Lord, I got to change my perspective. Lord, I got to look at my bank accounts differently. He wasn't looking for a miracle when he did that this weekend. He was just looking to do something for the Lord. And that's when the miracles show up in our lives. When Jesus says that they're only going to get the sign of the prophet Jonah, he's saying two things to them. First, we understand that Jonah went into the belly of the well. He was there for three days, right? He was basically dead or didn't have any hope. Then he comes out of the belly three days later and there's life, right? So we all know that uh, the sign that the Pharisees and Sadducees are going to get is kind of like that. Jesus is going to die and be raised from the dead, and that sign is for everybody, Right? It's like the, the, the rising of the sun is a sign of a new day. That's for everybody, saved and unsaved. Somebody say amen. amen. Right? Jesus is saying that my death and resurrection, you'll get that sign because that's a sign for everybody. Everybody's going to see that. 
The second thing that happened with Jonah is that he went and he preached this message to a, to a place called Nineveh and everybody got saved. They all repented and they turned and they began to follow the Lord like they were supposed to. Jesus is saying, hey, you guys are also going to see a sign like this. These people who are following you, following your false doctrine, doing things the way that you would have them to do it, you're going to watch them repent, you're going to watch them change, and you guys are going to see them begin to follow me. That's the sign that you're going to get. Jesus is saying a lot in the beginning of this scripture about signs. It's not the sign you want that you're going to get. It's the signs that I have that I'm going to share with everybody. So that's signs. What about wandering? Verse 5, his disciples came to the other side. They forgot to take bread. He said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They reasoned amongst themselves. It's because we've taken no bread. And Jesus, being aware of it, said, you of little faith, why do you reason amongst yourselves? Because you have brought no bread. He began to talk to him. He said, listen, it's not about the bread. It's, it's about the Pharisees. It's about the Sadducees. But it's not signs and wonders that I want to talk about. I want to talk about wandering in your mind. The, the, the disciples are looking at each other and said, I wonder if it's about this bread. I wonder if it's because we forgot to bring something. I wonder what he really wants from us. Too many of us think that thinking about God, talking about God, contemplating about what God might be doing is what he wants. He doesn't want that. He is not interested in me and you sitting down over coffee saying, I wonder what God's thinking today. (laughs) I wonder what we should be doing with our lives. I wonder what this particular verse means. Our God is not a God that wants us to wonder. Our God is a God that clearly gives us direction, that clearly wants to reveal himself, that wants to take all of the guessing out of the equation. Recently, I had a chance to, to share at another church, and we were talking about prayer, and, and I shared this. It was convicting to myself, but I said that reading the Bible and thinking about God and, and looking at the fruitfulness of decisions that we made, that's not prayer. Just because you sit down and say, God, I remember we were talking about this, and, 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 and look, life groups are here now, and look, courses are here. That's not prayer. Prayer is engaging God in a dialogue where you are listening and he is speaking, where you are speaking back to God and he is listening to you. We think just doing Christian things is prayer. That's not prayer. It's the same thing with wandering. That's not being spiritual. Reasoning amongst ourselves is not what God desires. Christianity and true confession is not about believing in or seeking signs. It's not about thinking about or wondering what God is doing. It's about having clarity, about God revealing himself. That's what he desires to do. I visited all five of our life groups over the month of uh, January with Mary, and it was absolutely amazing. I hope you guys are all engaged and enjoying yourselves and and overcoming things. It's like we always hear in the Bible, right? Get ready. We've seen in the families, the host family specifically, we've seen injuries. We've seen like crazy things going on, relationship issues, good and bad. Uh, We heard a testimony this morning about somebody who's been looking for for, uh, a new position and one of the hosts and they got the promotion, but now they're not going to be working from home. They're going to be working in in an office again. So there's challenges that come along with this. But man, as, as the pastor, my wife and our family, we were excited to be there and we were also uh, able to recognize that people were excited for us to leave. (laughs) They're like, we don't want you in our group. Thank you for coming, but once is enough. (laughs) But here's why I was so encouraged. In those groups, nobody's looking for signs. And nobody's wondering who God is. It's not a sign of, of lightning flashing that those groups are looking for. They're just looking at their everyday lives and what God is doing in their everyday lives. No need for a, a major sign. And the same thing about wondering. We're not wondering who God is or what it is that he's trying to say to us. We're looking at his word and saying, this is what your word says, and we're going to wrestle with that. I think it's powerful. So listen to Paul's confession. This is one of many that, that Paul makes. And I want you to, as I read it to you, see if you, if you can recognize, is Paul looking for a sign And the other question is, is Paul wondering what God is doing? Listen to how he speaks, and I want you to think about that and think about your own life. This is 2 Timothy 1.7. Paul says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love, of a sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel, according to the power of God. 
who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Crazy. Any confusion there? Any wondering there? Any looking for signs? No, I just know who he is. I know what he's done. I know that he's called me. I know what he's called me to be and what he's called me to do. I think it's awesome. <clears throat> no signs, no wondering. Verse 2, what do we need? We need a clear picture. If we're going to make a true confession instead of a false confession of our king, we have to truly see the king for who he is. Not what you've heard him to be, who you may have created him to be in your heart or in your mind, but who he really is. I hope we can see him clearly, then you can make a real clear confession. Verse 13 and 14 of uh, Matthew 16 this morning says, Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I am, the Son of Man? Who am I? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Jesus is like a lot of things, but he's truly only one thing. He's one of a kind. He's unique. He's holy. He's different from all other things. But he's like a lot of things. He's like John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist, it says that he's one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. Isn't Jesus kind of like that? He's shouting out to everybody, I am the Lord. Let me give you a straight and direct path to heaven, a straight and direct path to the Father, just like John the Baptist. He's like Elijah. Elijah didn't die. He was taken up in a whirlwind back to the Father, right? And we know the same thing. When Jesus, after he was resurrected, he spent 40 days here, and then what happened? It says that they were looking up, and he was taken up back to the Father. He's like Jeremiah. Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. He was weeping over the people. How can they live like this? How can they not turn to the Father? The same thing we see in Jesus. It says he looked out over Jerusalem, and he wept. He wept over the city. He said, man, you guys don't even know the time of your visitation. Jesus is like a lot of things, but he's not the same thing. How you see him will determine the type of confession that you're going to make to him or a confession that you're going to make of him. If you see him clearly, you can make a clear and true confession. If you don't, you're confessing something that's not real. The creator can be seen in his creation, but he is not his creation. This is Acts chapter 9, verse 1. It says, this is about Paul before he became Paul. This is Saul. He's breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and he asked for letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus. And when he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And he journeyed and he came near Damascus. And suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, and he neither ate nor drink. So this clear picture, Saul thinks he knows God. Saul thinks that he's serving God. Saul, Saul has made a confession to do all that God would have him to do. But in reality, it's a false confession. He's persecuting Christians. He's killing them. He's doing the opposite of what God would have him to do because he couldn't see who God was clearly. What is Jesus' response to that? He shines this light. He speaks clearly to him so Saul doesn't have to wonder. <laughs> He speaks clearly, this is who I am and this is what you're doing to me. And then he blinds him. The way that he's going to give Saul clear vision 
or a clear picture is to make sure that he can't see anything for a little while. Isn't that interesting? I think God would do the same thing for you and I, that he wants us to see him clearly, even if he has to blind us of everything else for a while. He wants you to see him for who he is. Not who I say he is. Not who your parents or your friends or your spouse or your kids seem to think that he is. He wants you to see for yourself. Isn't it funny also that when when God is speaking this to Saul, there's other people there, but they didn't hear the voice. It wasn't about their clarity at that moment. It was about Saul's clarity. Everything changed in his life from there. So signs and wonders, this clear picture. Number three is a revelation of Jesus Christ. True confession versus false confession. We need to have a revelation of Jesus. Verse 13 of our scripture this morning. Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi. He asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I am, the Son of Man? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. A revelation of Jesus Christ. Revelation comes from the Father. Revelation comes from the Father. It is of the Son, and it's through the Spirit. If you're taking notes, this is a good one. It's very important for the rest of your life. Revelation comes from the Father, but it's of the Son, and it's through the Spirit. If you want to see who he is, you need to be asking the Father to reveal the Son. And if you want the Father to reveal the Son, you need to be asking the Spirit to be that conduit. The whole of Scripture is the way, and the title of the last book of the Bible is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Turn to Revelation. It just doesn't say a revelation or some revelations or the revealing of things. It actually says the revelation of Jesus Christ. God is trying to reveal who Jesus is to us. Not only in the book of Revelation, but the whole Bible is revealing Jesus. This is the Father's way to reveal the Son through the Spirit to you and I. That should be the whole of our religious experience as well. God has designed our faith to be a faith of a Father revealing the Son through His Spirit. That's when we come into worship. That's what the Spirit is doing. It's revealing, He is revealing the Son to us more and more. When we sing a song like we sang this morning, the last one that says, I called, you answered, the Spirit is at work. I don't know about you, but the Spirit should be at work in your heart like He's at work in my heart when I'm thinking, Jesus, I called and you answered. You heard me. You came to my rescue. It's not just a a song service. Let's just get together and sing some songs because we're Christians. No, the Father is trying to reveal the Son through the Spirit. It's what he does. John chapter 14, verse 23. Jesus answered. Oh, I couldn't have planned that better. (laughs) Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he'll keep my word. And my Father will love him. And we, say we. We. That's the Father and the Son, right? And we will come to him and make our home with him. How does the Father and the Son come to somebody and make their home with him? Through the Spirit. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Jesus said, it's not even my word, it's the Father who's trying to reveal something. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. What a wonderful thing it is to be in relationship with the triune God. When we have understanding of how he has decided to reveal himself to us, man, the the possibilities are just endless you open up into this world that maybe you didn't realize existed. When you realize he's triune, he's Father, he's Son, he's Holy Spirit, right? When you realize that, that Jesus says, it's about me and my Father, we want to come make our home in your life through our spirit. It's a special thing. So number one, get your attention off of signs and wonders. Stop wondering. Number two, we realize that we need a clear picture of the king, who Jesus actually is. 
Number three, the Father gives us revelation of the Son through His Spirit. Number four, we need a revelation of ourselves. Amen. Say me. me. Amen. You need to know you. Verse 16. Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say that you are Peter. When Jesus is revealed, we begin to truly see ourselves for the first time. When we see him for who he is, right, he's revealed, oh, now I'm seeing clearly who you are, Lord. Then all of a sudden we can begin to see ourselves. Once Peter realized you're the Christ, you're the Son of God, you are the Messiah, Jesus says, you got it from heaven, from my Father, through the Spirit into your life, and now I can start talking to you about who you are. You're Peter. The more revelation we receive through the Spirit, the more clearly we see Jesus. The more clearly we see Jesus, the more clearly we can see ourselves. If you think about Peter, he's thinking, man, I thought I was Simon. <laughs> I thought I was a fisherman. I thought that now that I came to know who you are, I'm going to be the best Simon I could have ever been. I'm going to be the best fisherman I could have ever been. And Jesus is saying, no, you're no longer going to be Simon at all. You're now going to be Peter. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. You're going to start a new life, not just a better version of your old life. Some of us haven't seen the Lord clearly, which means you haven't seen yourself clearly yet. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. It's amazing how many people I talk to, and they're so convinced that who they are is who they're supposed to be, and how they think is how they're supposed to think, and who they're with is who they're supposed to be with. And when the Lord is probably saying, no, old things are supposed to pass away and all things are supposed to become new. How does Jesus know us so well? How can he just declare these things and reveal these things about us? He's the son of man because he's one of us, even though he's also something different <laughs> and something more. The best way to look at it is that Jesus is, is all of us and then some. Jesus is all of us, like everything that you are and could be and should be and will be hopefully one day, Jesus is all of that, and then he's more than that. So when he like speaks to us and makes declarations over our life, no, your name's not Simon anymore, your name is, is uh, Peter. When he says, no, you're not supposed to be in that field, you're supposed to be in this field, you're not supposed to be doing this, you're supposed to be doing that. Like, who are you to do that? Man, I'm all of you, and then some. I know everything there is to know about you, and then some. This is Hebrews 4.14. Actually, I want to read a couple of scriptures to you. Hebrews 4.14, 2 Corinthians 3, and 1 Corinthians 13. Seeing then that we have a great high priest passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Say confession. confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. He's like us. He's, he's the son of man. He's everything you are and everything I am, but he's more and he's without sin. 2 Corinthians 3.16, Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away, and now the Lord is, is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. We are being revealed there's a revelation of you. There's a revelation of me that, that the Lord is giving to us. We, were, we had a veil over our face, and it says that once we've come to this relationship with him and see him, the veil is lifted, and now you can actually see yourself for who you're supposed to be. The, the Peter veil comes, or excuse me, the Simon veil comes up, and the Peter face is seen. Because of who Jesus is and what he's doing in our lives. Who do you see in the mirror? Thank God I got three names, first, middle, and last, because I thought I would just continue to see Vaughn. My first name is Nathaniel. Thanks, Mom. Nathaniel is uh, one of the original disciples. Um, Nathaniel means of God. 
I don't know what Vaughn means, but it ain't that. <laughs> Came to the Lord as Vaughn, and then the veil lifted up. He said, Nathaniel. I was thinking about this in preparing this message that, you know, you know what the Lord said to Nathaniel when he first came? First of all, somebody had to call him and he said, hey, we found the Messiah. Nathaniel, come with us. Where's he from? Nathaniel says, I ain't going nowhere. Tell me where he's from. <laughs> and he said, he's, he's from uh, Nazareth. And Nathaniel's like, man, nothing good comes out of Nazareth. <laughs> Just full of himself. And then when Nathaniel came to the Lord, uh, the Lord said to him, look, there's an Israelite in whom there's no guile. There's no like wavering. He just calls it like it is. He tells the truth. And he walks up on him and he says, uh, when he told him that's an Israelite in whom there's no guile, he said, I saw you under a tree. And he says, Lord, you saw me under a tree. You must be the Messiah. I'm going to fall. He says, he said, that's all it took. You're going to see greater things than this. I feel a lot like Nathaniel. It didn't take much for me to be like, Lord, I know that you're the Lord. I'm going to follow you. But I definitely have seen greater things. But there also is a part of me that there's no guile. And people get frustrated because I just say things sometimes I shouldn't say. <laughs> and I remove emotion out of situations that maybe some emotion deserves to stay in. Amen. But it's not my fault. Jesus called me that. <laughs> <laughs> the Vaughn veil came up, and there was Nathaniel. <laughs> Last verse here. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says this. For now we see in a mirror dimly... But then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. So isn't it, a, isn't it an amazing progression where first you think you're Simon or you think you're Vaughn. Then the veil is lifted and you get to see a little bit more face to face. And you realize, man, you're not Simon, you're Peter. You're not Vaughn, you're Nathaniel. And then when this scripture comes in, he says, hold on a second, though. You're seeing face to face in a mirror, but you see it dimly. You only know a little bit of what I've done so far. There will come a time where you'll know everything that I'm doing, which means that this is an ongoing process for us. Revelation of Jesus, revelation of ourselves through the spirit. When I started this morning, I said true confession comes from the depth of our heart and it should begin to control our minds and our bodies. This is how James puts that. James 1.21. He says, therefore, right? So therefore this morning means if you listen to anything and everything that I've said already about signs and wonders, right? About a clear picture of the Lord, about revelation of Jesus, about revelation of yourself. Therefore, Lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. If God reveals himself to you, and then he reveals you to you, right, in that mirror, you cannot walk away from that mirror and behave like you used to. There has to be a deep and real confession that causes you to be a doer of the word, not just a hearer. You can't just look at yourself for who you are supposed to be and who God has called you to be and understanding what he's done to make that a possibility and then just keep living the way that we used to live. That is a false confession. Amen. Not a true confession. We're getting close. I don't know if you guys are just shocked. I don't know if the rain has made you gloomy. <laughs> I don't know if you're thinking about some football game that's supposed to be on today. but if you could see a mirror of your face right now. <laughs> Stick with me, we're almost there. Say almost. almost. So number one, we get our attention off signs and wonders. Two, we realize that we need a clear picture of the king. Three, the father gives us revelation of the son through the spirit. Four, we get a revelation of ourselves. And five, saga Genesis. Saga Genesis. Like Sega Genesis, but saga Genesis. So far, when it comes to the confession of the king, it's all been about God or about you so far, right? <clears throat> but a big part of understanding God and understanding ourselves so that we can have this true and real confession is seeing the big picture. There is a saga. It begins in Genesis, and the saga continues. 
You and I are characters in the saga. We are an important part of the saga. God is the creator and he is the most important part, but that's not the big picture. We have to get our focus off of ourselves and see the whole story, see the big picture. It'll really help us uh, to serve the Lord, to know the Lord, to know ourselves. This is verse 17 of uh, chapter 16 this morning. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. The Lord is building his church. When you came in here this morning, did you come in and say, Lord, you are building your church. I came to hear how you're building it. I want to see the blueprints. I want to know what you're doing and how I can be a part of it. Or did you come in and say, Lord, this is about me. I came to meet you, Jesus, but only as far as it pertains to what I have going on in my life. What my needs are today, what my joys are today, what my frustrations and circumstances are. But I want to just meet with you, Lord, so you can work on it. Or did you come in and say, Lord, you're building a church, and I'm just a small part of that. It's a big saga. It's not the story of Vaughn. It's not the story of Mary. It's not the story of RJ. He's building a church. That's the story. God has always wanted a people that he could dwell with and reveal himself to. He made Adam. He made Eve. He said, I want to be with you. We're going to spend time in the garden. Every day I'm going to show you something new about my creation. Every day I'm going to show you something new about myself. That's the saga. The whole story is God wants a people and God wants to reveal himself to his people. The saga is not how can I have a better life. See, I didn't sign up for this today. (laughs) See, when we focus on the characters without consideration of the whole story that the characters are being used to tell, we see ourselves inaccurately and we see God inaccurately. We see this life inaccurately. The story matters more than the characters. I know that's hard to understand because humans are important. Like we are very, your life matters. Don't take this the wrong way. But the story matters more. What God is doing to build his church and to be with a certain group of people. The fact that he's offering you and I to be part of that group of people. Man, the story is so important. The youth are in a series right now called Acts 29. The book of Acts ends in chapter 28. The whole theme of the story is the saga continues. Like... Acts 29 means everything you read here is amazing, but the story, it doesn't say the end. It says, and then Christian got saved. It says, and then Jerry got saved. The saga continues. You need to know the whole story. God is writing your portion of the story right now as part of the big story. It's not its own story. It's not a more important story than the rest of the story. I think the adults need to understand that, just like the youth need to understand that. And then I think we'll live out the confession of the king in real time. Number six. This is a story, this saga that continues, this is a story without alternatives. A story without alternatives. I love it when I hear people asking questions because they're taking notes. Story without alternatives, verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and he must be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. The Lord's story has no alternative endings. As I began to see the Lord's story as a whole, I remember saying to myself, it could be no other way. I don't know if this has ever happened to you guys, but I remember when I first got saved 
And I would wake up every day and I'd go into the room and I'd start reading this thing. Some days it was a struggle. I'd read a couple verses. Other days I'd be in there for hours. But that's what it was like when I got saved. I just couldn't get enough of this book. And as I read and as I read and as I read, I'm like, there's no other way that this could have happened. Like, there is absolutely no other way you could have saved people. There's no other way you could deal with sin. There's no other way that you could have a people to dwell with. There's no other way that you could have eternity. Like, this is the only way. How did I miss this? <laughs> How did I not see it? Because now I see it and I know that this is it. There's no other way. There's no part two. There's no, like, other book. It's the only way that it could happen. Have you ever been talking to somebody and you're trying to give them ideas about something? Like, hey, we should do it like this. Or, hey, we should go there. Or, or, hey, this is what we should do at work. This is what we should do for the company. And then they're like, yeah, but if we do that, this will happen. And then you're like, oh, yeah, I didn't think about that. You're like, Wait, but let's do it like this. And then they're like, yeah, but if we do that, then this will happen. You're like, yeah, right, I didn't think about that. I didn't think about that. Okay, hold on, hold on. Let's do it like this. Yeah, but if we do that, then this and this will happen. And then at some point, you begin to say to yourself, man, this person has really thought this through. <laughs> this, this person has already done what I'm trying to do. I'm giving them ideas, and they've already considered my idea, and then found out that that's not a good idea, and they're going in another direction. That's what it's like with God. When you're like, God, we should do it like this. And he's like, yeah, but if we do that, this will happen. Well, God, I should live my life like this. Yeah, but if you do that, this is what will happen. Well, God, but hold on, this situation is a little bit different, so if I do this, I think it's the best. Yeah, but if you do that, this is what will happen. And then you realize he's already thought it through, and there is no other way. Amen. This is a story with no alternatives. God has already chosen the best way. He's already chosen the holy way. He's already chosen the righteous way, and it's the only way. It's not a knee-jerk reaction. Sometimes we don't like dealing with people because when they say something, we feel like it's a knee-jerk reaction. You haven't considered everything. You're just telling me what you want and how you want to do it. That's not how God is. That's right. He doesn't have knee-jerk reactions. He's already thought through the whole thing, and he's already seen the end from the beginning. Isn't that the kind of God that you want? Isn't that the one that you want to trust? Isn't that the one where you could be able to say, look, Lord, I don't really understand, but I trust you. I know that you already saw the end, and I know that you already thought it through. So if you say not to forsake the assembly, I'm just not going to forsake it whether I understand or not. When you say to give, I'm just going to give whether I want to or not. When you say to forgive, I'm just going to forgive whether I want to or not because I trust you. And I know that there's no alternative story here. We cannot give God alternatives no matter how spiritual we think we are. If you do, prepare yourself because this is what you will hear. Get behind me, Satan! You are an offense to me. You are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. See, we think that because we're trying to be spiritual and because we're trying to be good and we're trying to do things that works for everybody, that God is going to say, oh, that was an awesome idea. And you know what? That your heart is so awesome. I love how you love people like I love people. And we think that he's going to respond that way and coddle us and massage us, but he's not going to do that. He's going to say, get behind me, Satan. I have a plan, one plan. It's a godly plan. It's a righteous plan. And all other plans are from the enemy. Get behind me, Satan. That's tough. But it's so much easier if you just realize there's no alternative plans. Then instead of asking for other things, you'll just say, God, would you reveal more of your plan to me? Here's another thing you can't do. You cannot stand still while you're waiting for the answers to your questions. We all have questions. Somebody say amen. Amen. We are not robots, so we're going to ask those questions, right? We're going to say, Lord, I, I just don't understand. I don't understand why you're doing it this way. I don't understand why there is no alternative. But if you try to stand still while you ask those questions, you're going to be in trouble. What you need to do is say, okay, Lord, what's your plan? What's your direction? What's the path? I'm going to walk down that path because I know there's no alternatives. But while I'm walking, hey, Lord, do you mind telling me why this is the only way? Lord, do you mind telling me why there's no alternatives? He'll work with you in that situation. He will not work with you if you want to stand still over here and say, until you tell me everything, I ain't taking a step. Until you reveal your story, I'll recognize that there may be no alternative, but I ain't going to move until you tell me why. 
Oh, you're in for trouble. It's a story without alternatives, and it's a road without options. He says, here's the road, here's the story, get walking. Man, see, I didn't sign up for this today. <laughs> In Matthew 7, 13, Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. There are many who go in by that one, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. He tells us, look, there is the gate and the way, and there are few who are going to find it. There are not multiple gates and multiple ways, only one. I've showed you where it is. I've told you how to get onto it, and I've told you to walk down it. Get to step in. I'm going to close. Number seven is completion. Number one, stop looking for signs and wonders. Number two, we need a clear picture of Jesus. Number three, receiving revelation from the Father of the Son through the Spirit. Number four, receiving revelation of yourself. Number five, we need to see the big picture, the whole saga. Number six, accept that there is no other way. And number seven, completion. Verse 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. The completion is to confess the king. To take up your cross and follow Jesus to the death of yourself. And to be born again in the spirit. You want real confession? We started this morning with a video of a false confession. And we've been trying to get to a place where we can make a real and true confession. And this is it. The whole completion. You understand all these stages that we've gone through. And Jesus takes you through the whole thing in Matthew chapter uh, 16. You get to the end by saying, man, I have to die to myself. I have to confess that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Savior. He came to save me and to deal with my sin. And he is the only way, the only road, my only hope. And that is the confession of my heart. That is the deep confession in my heart that changes my mind and changes my actions. I've truly been born again. Galatians 6.14, God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. These are confessions. Listen to these confessions. <laughs> this is somebody that's got to the stage of completion. I'm going to read again Galatians 6.14. God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I have been crucified to the world. That's a confession. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23. We preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. He says, when I go into a city, I preach Christ crucified. I'm not talking about all the miracles, the signs, the wonders, this and that. He says, let me tell you about Jesus Christ being crucified and why you can have new life because of it. 1 Corinthians 2.2 says, I determine not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. This is the completion of the confession of the king, you guys. Do you really see Jesus as the one who was crucified for you, that you would be able to be saved? Do you really see that as the only way it could have been? Can you clearly see him yet? Can you clearly see yourself? There's no other way. Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's all that matters. It's all that matters. If you want to learn how to, to, to reach those that we love and those that we care about, spend the next six months learning everything you can about Jesus Christ and him crucified. You don't need to study now about the canon and how it came together. You don't need to study about everything to know from X, Y, and Z about giving. You need to know about Jesus Christ and him crucified. 
This is Galatians 2.20. And I hope that, that this can also be mine and your confession as well. Worship team, why don't you come while I read it. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Why don't we all stand? Amen. Can we give the Lord a hand this morning? I know, I know it's a lot to hear, a lot to take in, but I just feel so compelled that uh, the confession of the king is so important. So important to know who he is and what we believe and what it is that we're saying and let it be a deep confession of our hearts and not just our lips giving lip service. Jesus said, man, they draw near to me with their lips and with their mouths. However, their hearts are far from me. If you're here this morning, I want to ask you if there's anyone that would like to confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. You know, <clears throat> one thing that the scriptures didn't say this morning is <laughs> how much of him you need to see. It just said that you need to see him clearly. You know, it took, it took Saul becoming Paul in one moment. He was knocked off of his horse. Everything he believed up until that moment, he realized in an instance that it was wrong. He did everything he could. He was literally going to church. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. And all of a sudden, Jesus spoke to him. And he said, this is who I really am. And then Paul said, or, or Saul said, what do I need to do? That's it. That's all he asked Jesus. What do I need to do? Jesus blinded him, and then he began the process of telling him, this is what you need to do. This is how you need to live. This is who I really am. This is what I want to do with your life. But it all started in an instant. Maybe this morning is that instant for you. Maybe like Paul, you've been coming to church for a while already. Maybe you've already heard the story about Jesus Christ and him crucified. But it wasn't enough to really shift you to make a real confession. Maybe you've made a false confession. Maybe you've stood before a congregation or came to an altar and said, I put my faith in Jesus, but it really wasn't a true confession. It was a false confession. Maybe you've been serving for years, like we saw that man, 16 years, but he was in prison because of a false confession. I want the Lord to be able to set people free this morning. Those that have never confessed Christ and those who have made false confessions. So before we move any further, if that's you, Man, you don't have to stay in prison for one second longer. You just have to make a true confession. Would you raise your hand so I can see you? You want to be saved. You want to confess this Jesus, this Savior, this King. Give your life to the only true God. I just want to pray with you. I want you to be blessed this morning. If that's you, would you identify yourself? Just raise your hand. Wave it. Say it's me. Anything. Hallelujah, Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord. I'm going to believe that we're all saved. We all made a, a real and true confession. So those who are saved, I want you to repeat this after me. Then we'll open up for prayer. We'll open up for communion. If you are saved, I want you to say it. I want you to say it like you mean it this morning. Just repeat after me. Say, Jesus Christ has been crucified. Oh, uh, we can do better if it's real. Paul said, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Is that how you're going to say it? Jesus Christ has been crucified. Man, if somebody was telling you what's the most important thing in your life, Jesus Christ has been crucified. When you get to the gates of heaven and the Lord is, is ushering you in, you're going to be like, Jesus Christ has been crucified for me. Let's try it again. Jesus Christ has been crucified. Jesus Christ has been crucified. He paid the penalty for my sins. He paid the penalty for my sins. Righteous, because of what he did, and because I've placed my faith in him, I have died to sin, and now I live to God. This is my confession. Lord, I thank you for your precious sons and daughters here in this place, Lord God. 
I thank you that we can make a true confession. I thank you that at any moment, if we've made a false confession, we can be released. We can be set free by making a true confession, Lord God. I thank you that you are trying to reveal yourself unto us consistently, Lord. I thank you that through your spirit, the Son is made clear, Lord. Have your way over us this day and every day forward, Lord. Meet us here at this altar. Meet us in this time of communion here in this place, Lord, as we worship you, Lord. Let the saga continue. It's an amazing story. There could be no other way, Lord. There are no alternatives. We are not here by chance. We are here by providence. This is your story that you've made us a part of. We love you and we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Altars are open. If you want prayer, come to the altar. Communion is open. Receive your communion this morning. love you to visit our church at 451 West Lambert Road, Suite 204 in the city of Brea. Our service times are Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.thewaybrea.com or you can download our church app by visiting your app store and searching The Way Brea. Be blessed.